0: In this season of Advent, we fill our hearts with expectation as we prepare for and celebrate the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Celebration for his life, for his death, his burial and his resurrection this morning. Uh, Preparation and expectation for his second coming. Uh, that preparation and that expectation are married. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian talked about uh, waiting, the preparation and the waiting that takes place in preparation. It's not just a, a Netflix and chill type of deal, uh, but it is very much um, an intentional and purposeful engaging and walking with the Lord day by day. Amen scripture says for we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and that takes place as we prepare our hearts and look earnestly in expectation for that coming Um, I want to confess to you that as I was praying and meditating uh, on our text this morning that my prayer to God was that he would give me this new and powerful uh, revelation Uh, it's not an equal to step in a pulpit behind Brian Crawford. Amen. amen. Uh, not to, not to them or gas him by any means, but uh, God has indeed graced him, uh, graced us in giving us such a gift. And we praise God for that. Um, but yeah, I did. I said, God, give me this new and and powerful uh, revelation of this text this morning. and And he did just not necessarily in the way that I was expecting. Uh, too often we want to quantify what God is doing in displays of power or the miraculous or you know, powerful sermons. Moments that we can point to and say God was there. Amen. We cry out to God that he would move in our lives and God often responds, trust me. Amen. Amen. Trust me. So we find, or what we find in this, is when we focus on, when we lock in on, when we try to mark God's presence or his absence in our lives, only in the moments where we feel like God is there or like God is moving, we miss the thing that is most beautiful about God. And that is his consistency. Amen? He is always, always, The faithfulness of God displayed in his ability to speak a thing and then his commitment to watch over his word to perform it is nothing short of amazing. God does not solely look towards a singular moment, a singular experience, or a singular event. Rather, he looks at a thing in its entirety. He looks at every moment from in the beginning God created, which are the first words in the Bible to the grace of Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Which are the last. And every moment in between, in between, God is focused on. While we're focused on the wedding day, God is focusing on the wedding day and the marriage. While we're focusing on the birth, God is looking at the minutes, and the hours, and the days of the life before and after that birth. While we're lost on moments, God is purposefully filling the day-to-day, the ordinary, the seemingly mundane. Amen? Amen? So nothing in our lives is by happenstance. Nothing is by chance, but everything is driven by God's divine design, His careful planning. The word of the Lord says in Jeremiah 29 and 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He is planning. Amen. He is intentional. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, says Psalms 33 and 27. Complete dyslexia. 37 and 23. Just in case y'all knew that scripture and said, Corey, set up. And I am sure of this, Philippians 1 and 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is intentionally and consistently engaged, even in times where we feel like he's absent, he's there. And this divine consistency results in the praise and the glory of God. So as we look in our text this morning, it says in uh, verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. If we back up to verse 4, in the same text, we find that that region is Bethlehem. And Joseph also, it says, went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Well, how do we get from Bethlehem to Nazareth? And is that important? In verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, we see the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Uh, Betrothed simply means that they were engaged to be married. And Gabriel delivered the message that Mary, a virgin, would conceive in her womb and bear a son, and that she should call his name Jesus. Gabriel continues saying that this son, Jesus, will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and that the Lord would give to him the throne of his father David, that he would reign forever over the house of Jacob, and that of his kingdom there would be no end. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth, but God is consistent in word and again working in the seemingly ordinary and the seemingly uh, mundane, excuse me. So in Micah 5 verses 2 through 5, we hear the word of the Lord saying, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of his name, the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. God spoke through Isaiah that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and that, uh, and rather, God spoke through Micah that his son, or this son that would be born, would be born in Bethlehem. So God spoke it, and he will make it good, scripture declares. We get to Bethlehem from Nazareth because God ordained it to be so. And it's important for us. And to hear and to know that because it glorifies God to speak a thing before it happens, revealing not just his plan but demonstrating his ability to bring it to pass. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and that son will be born in Bethlehem. Again, God purposely feels the day to day, he feels the ordinary, he feels the mundane. The things that we would see as unimportant or as uh, trifle or ordinary, God uses to bring about his extraordinary plans. Luke chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Corinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of God, which is called Bethlehem. Again, God is moving pieces to get them exactly where he purposed to be, purposed them to be. The registration is an event. It's a moment. But God is allowing... Uh, Excuse me. But God allowing rather a man by the name of Alexander to become great, uh, who was ordinary, but an extraordinary part of God's plan or rather a part of God's extraordinary plan. Excuse me. Alexander the Great was not a man who loved God. Amen. He was a man of many appetites, many of which uh, it's speculated that uh, were possibly the reasons of his uh, early death. He was a general, a conqueror, a king, but in the grand scheme of things, he was simply a pawn in God's redemptive plan. His exploits would eventually, in many ways, contribute to the rise and flourishing of the Roman Empire, who is now calling for a census of the known world, which caused Joseph and full time Mary to make this uh, roughly 100-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So again, we see God is weaving his story through history, amen? Nothing by happenstance, but everything by God's design. It is God demonstrating his sovereignty. It is God watching over his word to perform it. It is God fulfilling prophecy. It is God being beautifully, and gloriously consistent. And so we come to Bethlehem. Scripture says again in verse 8, Of Luke chapter 2, in the same region there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Throughout the course of his story, God has interrupted the lives of ordinary and seemingly unworthy people. He interrupted Moses as he was tending sheep and we have the one that went astray. And so Moses is going and and looking for him. And God addresses Moses from the burning bush, making him God's messenger to Pharaoh. He interrupts David, who is also tending sheep. When the Lord sent the uh, prophet Samuel to the house of his father, Jesse, in search of the son who would be anointed as king. He interrupts the disciples in their fishing, telling them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He interrupts Mary, a young virgin from Nazareth, who is engaged to Joseph to tell her that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. And now in our text, God interrupts the lives of lowly shepherds to make them witnesses to the birth of Mary's baby and God's Christ. And as I was looking at the text and maybe you've asked this question yourself, why shepherds? Again, God does nothing by chance, nothing by happenstance, but everything is intentional. So why not kings and priests? Shepherds were not men of noted importance in that day. They were considered uneducated. They were considered unclean. And like the women of that time, they weren't allowed to be witnesses in uh, legal matters. So why would God send an angel to a group of men and send them, of unclean men, and send them searching for the Holy One of Israel? Why would God send an angel to a group of men who were not allowed to be witnesses among men and yet he makes them witnesses to what he's done? Why would God take these men from caring for sheep? To make them witnesses of the Lamb of God. What's amazing about this text is not so much in that God allowed ordinary men to become witnesses. It's that God sought out these ordinary men to make them witnesses. Consider David again, the boy who would be king. What does the scripture say about this ordinary man? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, the word of the Lord says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Coming down to verse 6, When they came, He looked on Eliab, the prophet Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made his seven sons pass before the Lord. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Are all your sons here? There remains yet the youngest, Jesse said, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down until he comes here. God is being consistent and intentional and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, his eyes uh, were beautiful and he was handsome. There was nothing about David that declared to Samuel upon looking at him or anybody looking at him that this man was a king. But the word of the Lord says, Then Samuel, excuse me, the Lord said to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. David was tending sheep. But God intended to make him king, to set him on a throne. God interrupted David's life. God, David didn't look the part. Maybe he felt like he wasn't worthy to play the part. And certainly we can look at the life of David in scripture today and see that he did not always act the part. Amen. But God chose him and used the life of David for his own purpose and pleasure, even to the point of calling David a man after his own heart. Ordinary David. Can God interrupt us, family? Can God wreck our agenda, wreck our plans? Can God interrupt our lives, our jobs, our houses? Can God interrupt our church? Can God do the extraordinary with our ordinary lives because we have presented ourselves to Him as living sacrifices? See, oftentimes we, we get distracted from uh, because of moments in our life and 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 we, we shy away from God rather than yielding ourselves to Him. Moments of failure taint our faith and make us people who are unbelieving. You know, God, you can we say God, you can use anybody except me. Right? God desires to use us. He desires to do the extraordinary through our ordinary lives. But the question is, will we be anointed by God or rejected by God? And that's all based on our hearts. God comes calling. We will either have excuses or we will say, God, use us. For God is seeking for willing vessels. Amen. Hear the words of Luke Nineteen capturing an interaction between Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through, speaking of Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry down come down for I must stay at your house today he hurried down to receive him joyfully and when they saw it those who were passing by they grumbled he has gone to, the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner again man looks at the outside right God is looking at the inside, and God looks at the heart of Zacchaeus and said, That is somebody that I can use. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, our uh, Lord, half the goods, I have my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it to fourfold. And Jesus said, Behold, salvation has come to this house. Charles Spurgeon is quoted as saying, Christ does not leave it to us, to ourselves, to seek him or else it would be left indeed for vile is human nature that although heaven be offered and hell thundered in our ears, yet there was never and there never will be any man who, unconstrained by grace, will run to the way of salvation. And so escape from hell and flee to heaven. Thus, if you are seeking God today, know that it is only because the kindness of your Savior sought you first. The shepherds were not looking for the Savior that night. But God was looking for them. God is consistent in word. God is consistent in his work. Look with me at verse 9 of chapter 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Praise God. How can it be? That we are at peace and pleased with God. Romans declares all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were enemies of God. We were far from God. Another text in Romans says that the carnal heart is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. How can then or how then can enemies be made At peace with one another or with God and sinners be found pleasing. Well, verses 10 and 11 answers the question for us. He says, fear not for I bring you good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Sacred scripture attests that this is good news or rather to this good news and our deep need for good news. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 8 and 4, God is working in the lives of ordinary men. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, God is working in the lives of ordinary men, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53 and 5. These scriptures show us that we are insufficient and inadequate in our own that the fault of Adam's sin, his fall, has burdened humanity and left us indebted to a holy God. And the only wage God will pay to sinners is death. So it is indeed good news that that God has brought a second Adam to set things right. It is indeed good news that the Savior has come that through him we might pass from death to life. So bear again in mind, family, that God is not solely focused on singular events, but there is a redemptive narrative, a divine thread woven through history, your life and my life, God-sized plan that is being played out through the ages and we barely even get a glimpse and oftentimes don't understand what God is doing. Have you ever just asked that question, God, what are What's going on? I'm sure Mary didn't completely comprehend the angel's greeting or his news that she would bear a son, being that she knew not a man, and told him this: "How shall this happen, being that I know not a man?" But that was an event, a moment. I'm sure that Joseph didn't completely understand why or how his virgin fiancé was pregnant. But that was an event, a moment. God is orchestrating times and seasons, but he is not bound by them. God brings uh, a timing or a thing to pass, but he sees beyond them. God has spoken and is speaking. He has performed and is performing. There is an expected end. Nothing is catching him by surprise. Amen. Amen. So you are in good company. We are in good company. If we've ever found ourselves feeling stuck or confused as to how we would get past a certain moment in our lives. Something seems so final. Amen. If you've ever struggled to make sense of certain moments in your life or questioned if God could or if God even would use you because of certain moments in your life. But when we focus too long on the moment, we become distracted and run the risk of robbing ourselves of being willing participant in God's desired movements. Remember, he is working. Amen. Momentary fear or momentary failure or moments where our understanding is unfruitful should not paralyze us. Rather, we should live each moment in full assurance that God is working to fulfill his will and his narrative. This is God's show, family. And we take too much on ourselves, even in our failures, To say that God can't use us. Allow God to be God in all your moments. We are no more disqualified by our failures than we are qualified in our successes. Amen. So when you and I allow God to consistently be God in our lives and walk daily in obedience to his word and work, the result is praise and glory to God. As we close, we look again at these shepherds, these ordinary men, these outcasts. They didn't wake up that morning going out to the field expecting to encounter the glory of God in that field. Amen? But they took God at His word and went out and found the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, just as the angel had told them they would. By faith, they left. Their flock, they allowed God to interrupt their lives. They left the flock and became followers of God. And when they returned, scripture says, they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. We celebrate the arrival of our Savior because it demonstrates the faithfulness of God, that He is trustworthy, that the word He spoke centuries before this moment did not return void. That our faith in him is not misplaced. That he is indeed worthy of all glory and all praise. We also acknowledge family that is no longer a baby in a manger. Amen. Mary's baby whose birth the shepherds were sent to witness became the son of man. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He went to the cross and gave himself, died for my sins and your sins, taking on himself the punishment that we deserved and canceling our debt to the father. He was laid, scripture tells us, in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he rose with all power in heaven and in earth. He ascended and now sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. He is our sovereign Lord, our friend, and our soon coming King whose kingdom will know no end. Let us look to the example of the shepherds as we return day after day to what seems, again, ordinary, mundane, monotony. But it's not. Amen. It is a life if yielded a life interrupted by God and let us return day by day glorifying and praising God believe that he will do the extraordinary with our ordinary and let us look in joyful expectation to his coming expectation not just sitting still looking up to heaven. That's what the disciples were doing as God, God, as, as Jesus ascended. He said, you men of Galilee, you stand gazing. There's a work to do. Amen. Let us look joyful in expectation, waiting, serving, giving of ourselves, giving of our lives to God and to one another. Let us look in joyful expectation for the second coming of God's Christ when he fulfills his redemptive plan. Amen.